excited today to uh, kick off a brand new theme for the year of uh, the quest and looking at a way that you and I can join this quest uh, to be all that Christ wants us to be and to play that out in our lives that truly we decided as a group together to link arms and, and, and to go on this journey together. It could be an amazing year. As a kid, I used to watch a show on TV called Johnny Quest. Anybody remember watching Johnny Quest? We just, told, we just showed how old we were by saying that. That was a great uh, show, but every day Johnny Quest would go on an adventure and you would see him preparing for it. And then you would see him accomplish this quest. And he got into all kinds of encouraging situations where he would help people and, and where he had to step out in faith. But a quest is an adventurous expedition undertaken by someone to secure or achieve something. Or to seek and pursue something. A quest is where we have an opportunity to do something that we haven't done before. Leaving the past behind us. Stepping through this valley or this gorge. Climbing this mountain. And saying, God, we're in in 2016. We have a chance this year to join you and go someplace that maybe we weren't willing to go last year. But we're willing to go. This year. So my hope is this personally and even for my family and even for my marriage and even for even more, I think, for you and, in, and for Grace Community, that we become the church individually and corporately that reaches the world for Christ. Do you realize in Elkhart County there are over 200,000 people and almost 200,000 people that would call themselves unchurched? It's like we haven't even got a drop in the bucket yet of people who need reach for Jesus. We have a church around 2,500 people. What would happen if each one of us began to go on this journey and began to reach these people who need Jesus? My hope and prayer has been, as I've been praying about this theme in this year, Lord, let us reach those people who are sitting at home right now that need Jesus Christ. Anybody in for that journey this year? Let us reach them and let them find Christ. As I think about this spirit of what it means to be all in, what it means to, 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 to step into a new journey, I, I always have a, an opportunity to learn by those who have went before me or went before us. And I love reading stories of, of Fox's Book of Martyrs. And I love reading stories about Christians and missionaries and preachers and, and vocational people who've stepped out in a big way and took a stand for God. And, and there's, there's this journey that took place by this man that, quite frank, is almost unmatched in our world today. And the story is of Hernan Cortez. And let me just tell you the story of a man who was willing to let go of the past and step out and take step forward in this quest and this new adventure. The story goes like this. In February 19th of 1519, the Spanish explorer Hernan Cortez set sail for Mexico with an entourage, listen to this, 11 ships, 13 horses, 110 sailors, 553 soldiers. So picture if you can, he wants to go take this new land. He, so he grabs all these men, he grabs supplies, and 11 ships begin to sail the seas to go to this land that has never been conquered before, to go to this new home. But that just it wasn't it. It wasn't that he just took off and, and had a desire. He was all in for this. The story goes on to say that the indigenous population upon his arrival was approximately 5 million people. From a purely mathematical standpoint, I love numbers and I love math. Think about the odds that were stacked against him. 
A ratio of 7,541 to 1 were the odds stacked against him and his team. These 11 ships and, and sailors and soldiers and 13 horses. Two previous expeditions had failed to even establish a settlement in this new world. So what he was about to do hadn't been done, had already been tried twice and failed, but Cortez was all in. He says, I'm going to do this and, and I don't have a plan B. It's plan A or bust. The story goes on to say that while what Cortez is reported to have done after landing is an epic tale of mythic proportions. He issued this order that has gone down in the history annals as almost unbelievable, unheard of. And if we would take this kind of faith, if we would take this kind of venture into the new year, there is no stopping what God could do. This is the order that he issued that turned his mission into an all or nothing proposition. These three words he said to his sailors, he said to his soldiers, he said to his captains, as they landed on this new land, he looked at all of them and he said these three words, burn the ships, burn the ships. Now imagine if you were part of that group jumping in with this new quest, this new adventure, and your captain, your leader, your fearless commander in chief now puts this proposition out there and says, not only are we going to this new land that has never been conquered before, that two other teams tried and failed, not only has it never been done, but we're not turning back. We're burning our ships. The story goes on to say, as his crew watched their fleet of ships burn and sink, they came to terms with the fact that retreat was not an option, unless they could swim and swim in for a long time. And if you think about this picture... It's an incredible picture saying it's plan A or bust. There is no retreat. There wasn't any part of these, these soldiers and sailors said, if this doesn't work out, I can always go back to this. So I'm proposing this year for Grace Community Church, for me, for, for my marriage, for my family, for you, as corporate group, to say, this is the year that we burn the ships. This is the year, say, God, we're all in. I'm not holding on to the past. And, and think about that for a second. What if we were willing? What if you and I were willing? What if we were willing to say, Lord, this ship, this thing that's part of my past, this thing that I'm holding on to, this picture of security, my bank account, my, my previous ventures, everything I have, my possessions, God. What if we were willing this year, Lord, say, listen, God, I don't want this. I don't need this. I am no longer clinging to this. I am willing, God, if you call me to it, I know that you'll take me through it and I'm willing to burn the ships. What would happen if that would be our spirit this year? Listen, it is possible. And some of us, many people who call themselves Christ followers are clinging. Like you might say, well, I'll go, Pastor Jim. I'll go, Jesus. I'll go, husband. I'll go, wife. But listen, if that doesn't work out, I can always come back to this bank account. I can always come back to this gift or talent that I have. I can always come back to this possession that I have. I can always come back to that. But listen, what if this year we were like Cortez and said, listen, it's plan A or it's us, baby. It's all in, Jesus, or it's nothing. It's burn the ships. I will not let 
anything keep me from being all in for Jesus? Anybody up for that kind of venture this year? Well, grab your Bibles and we're going to go on a journey. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. And we're going to see a story of a man who did just that. We're going to see someone who was willing to burn his ships. And if you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Our ushers will put one in your hand. But turn to the Old Testament and turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. When you find that in your Bible or mobile device, stand with me. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. But stand with me anyhow as we read God's Word. 1 Kings 19, verses 19 through 21. Turn there with me and we'll read this out loud together. 1 Kings 19, verses 19 to 21. Let's read this out loud together. Ready, read. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. And he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said. And then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people. And they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. You may have a seat. Picture, if you can, what was taking place here. Elijah is stepping into Elisha's life. And he says, there is this calling, this anointing on your life. It's all in or nothing. So Elijah had a, had a, had a, had an opportunity to pass the mantle of leadership, the calling on Elisha's life. As I read that this week, and and as I go to it even now, I'm reminded of this truth, that there will be a time in our lives where God will come knocking. But the question is this, are you ready for that? God's ready, but are you ready? Are you ready if God came knocking today and someone came across your path and texted you or emailed you or phone called you or met you in the parking lot says, hey, I see this in you. You have this ability, this talent. I'm asking you to to burn your ships. I'm asking you to let go of that security blanket that you hold on to. I'm asking you to let go of that 401 retirement. I'm asking you to jump and go, would you be willing to go? Picture if you can how this encounter came to Elisha. He was just doing his everyday chores. He was plowing in the field. He had no idea that Elijah would come to him as he was plowing that day. But as he was plowing, and I think about this encounter, out of nowhere, this man appears to him. And I asked myself this question this week as I was reading these questions. Here's what I asked. Why did God choose Elisha? Like, there were other yokes... In, in the field. There were other men plowing in the field. There were other men that lived in that community. But why Elisha? Why, out of all the men in the Judean Valley, why in the world did he choose that man? And so I asked myself this question. Why did he choose Elisha? Why did he come and place, the text tells us this, that Elijah came and he covered him up with his cloak. It's a picture if you can, he's out plowing and all of a sudden this man appears in the field and he covers him up. But symbolically, that was very, very important. It meant you are passing the leadership, the power, the mantle of, of a prophet to another prophet. So picture if you can, he's out plowing and out of nowhere, Elijah comes and covers him. 
So I asked this question this week as I looked at this account. Why did God choose Elisha? Why not the other 11 who were plowing in the field? Why didn't he go to some other farm? Why didn't he go to Jayco? And why didn't he go to Walmart? And why didn't he go to the bookstore? Why, why didn't he show up at Grace Community Church? And why didn't he show up at Concord Schools or, or Westview or Middlebury or, or Northridge? Why, why, why did he come to that field? Why did he choose that man who was plowing in the field, who was just doing his chores? Then I asked myself this question as I look at this account. What qualified Elisha to be chosen for that position? Did, was he educated? Did he finish school? Did, did, what was it about him that, that, that qualified him before God? What, what was it that helped him gain the attention of God as God was looking down on him? Yeah, that's, that's the man. That's the man. What would make God come into this room right here and pick out one person? Why did that happen? What qualified him for that? And then I asked myself this question. Was he shocked by being asked? As he was plowing away and, and he had this oxen out in front of him and he was plowing, what was he like, whoa! What, do, do we get the picture from the text like, like he was shocked by it? That he was so shocked by it that, that he ran from it? Or was he like almost, well, if I'm in it for God, there, anything could show up and God, I'm all in. And so I began to ask these questions. And then I thought of, Second Chronicles 16.9, that says this, that God is scanning the earth right now, looking to strengthen those whose hearts are wholeheartedly committed to him. Think about that. God is scanning the earth right now. He's scanning Goshen. He's scanning Elkhart County. He's scanning LaGrange County. He's scanning Michigan. He's, he's scanning Kosciuszko County. He is scanning the county. And he's looking for hearts that are wholeheartedly committed to him. Why? I wondered as he would come flying down County Road 146 in New Paris, would he stop at the Brown household and say, there are hearts that are fully committed to him. Would he stop at your house? Would he stop at your house? Would he stop at your house? What if, what, if, what if God said, I'm going to scan Grace Community Church right now. And as he looked across the lives here in the main and the land, would he say, there's a heart that's wholeheartedly. There's a heart that's wholeheartedly. There, there she is. She's 10, but boy, she is all in. Would he pick out you? Is your heart ready to define this calling from God? And then I asked this question as I looked at this account. What might God be doing behind the scenes right now for some of us? Like, like, Elisha didn't know this was coming. It wasn't like he woke up and said, hey, this is the day Elijah's going to meet me in the field. Hey, guess what? There's a guy coming, and when he puts a cloak on me, everybody clap. No. So ask this question. What might God be doing behind the scenes in your life? And when Elijah's come knocking, are you ready to burn? The ships. Are you ready to let all that comfort, all that safety, all that security, all that baggage, all those regrets, all those old habits, all those things that keep pulling you back? Are you ready to just burn them and say, God, I'm all in. It's plan A or bust. Be quite frank, that's pretty exciting for me. Who might come knocking at my door? Backstory a little bit here before we get there. 
Yesterday, I was coming home from playing basketball. We have a team here at Grace that plays at the Jimtown High School. And my son's on that team. We had, we had a game yesterday. And I'm coming back. And I'm coming back. And I've been praying through this. And the message has developed. And, and I'm driving down County Road uh, 46, heading home. And, and I look down. And, 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 and my phone beeps. And there's a text. So I did what most of you do. I looked at it while I was driving. I took a look. Forgive me, God, please. I'm a sinner. Pray for the pygmies in Africa. Please, God. So I looked at it. And it was from someone that, that, that hasn't contacted me in a very, very long time. It, it was from someone that over the last two to three years that, that the Spirit has led me on numerous occasions just to send them and ask them this question. And, and, and it was a significant text because it was an opportunity for me to jump into something that that we have been praying about for a very 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 long time out of nowhere Bleep. and i remember looking at it and thinking whoa like almost kind of like elisha was like whoa i started to get excited and and, and and I, and I wanted to text everybody that was important to me, which is my family. And, like, and, I, and I wanted to text the staff, the pastoral staff, and, and let them know. And, and so as I get home, and I'm excited. And when my wife comes home, my daughter comes home, and my son's there, I say, honey, you're not going to believe what, 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 what. I, almost like, just sit down a second, okay? Just sit down. And I say, here's what I just received, honey. And she said, you're kidding me. I said, no, baby, I'm not kidding you. And then she went, whoa, whoa. And I told my daughter, and she was there too, and she said, whoa, dad, whoa. <laughs> and I sent this text to pastoral staff, and I, three, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I had to ask this question. Was it because... I was scanning the earth? Was it because? Somehow that we were qualified for the position? Was it because I wouldn't be shocked by it? Or was it just because God's just willing to use a willing heart? I believe it's because he's willing to use a willing heart that's fully committed to him. So I responded back and told him I'd talk to him next week. Let me ask you a question. If something came to you, are you ready? Are you ready to just to go? Are you, are you ready to just, you ready to, to cut loose of the past? Backstory, Elijah, who passed the anointing on to Elisha, what, was, what brought him to this point? Like, where was he at? Like, what made him come to this point to come and put this mantle over this man called Elisha? What, where was he at? Well, look, let's back it up. Look at, look at 1 Kings chapter 19. Just a, a few verses above. Let me give you a backstory. In 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah just had one of the most monumentous things that have ever happened in Scripture. It was on the, the, up, up on Mount Carmel. God, and it was like God against all the little gods. It was like, let's bring out the box and go out. Let's see what God is stronger so Elijah was there with his men, and Baals, all the people who didn't worship God, who worshiped the idols, were there. And it was kind of like, hey, you do this, and I'll do that. And so they brought these altars out. 
And so one by one, they brought these authors out and they built them. If your God is able, then he'll burn that altar. If your God is able, he'll wipe it out. Finally, it came down to the, the final straw. Elijah had an altar built out of rocks. They put the sacrifice up on top. And so they called him out. Like, if your God is alive, if your God is big, then let's see him burn that sacrifice. So Elijah goes a step farther and he says, hey, bring all Goshen's fire trucks in. Bring them in. Bring them in. And they, they, they hose down the, the rocks. They hose down all the, the meat. They, they dig a trench. And there's water all over this. And, and then he says, not only will God burn it, but he'll burn an altar that's saturated with water. And so God brings fire down from heaven, the passage says. And it burns up the meat. It burns up the wood. It burns up the rocks. It burns up all the water. It's like, yeah, God wins. Elijah had just experienced that. And the text says after that, he ran. He even outran a chariot. And it was a high moment in his life. It's those moments that sometimes you have when you get real high that you could drop straight off if you're not clinging to Jesus. The next moment it says that he's hiding in this cave. So enter Elijah to the story. God sees him. He's hiding in a cave after he had just witnessed God just burn up a sacrifice, saturate it in water and the rocks and everything. And he's hiding and he's crying, Lord, 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 am I the only one in Israel that's faithful? Am I the only one? God loved him so much, was so patient with him that it says this. That's where we're at. Look at 1 Kings 19 and look at verse 11. Meanwhile, Elijah is hiding in chapter 19, verse 11. says, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass by. He was trying to encourage Elijah. Then it says this, then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. God wanted him to know that he was there. And look what God says to Elijah. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here. In other words, Elijah, you're a man of God. Don't you remember what I just did? Don't you know who I am? What in the world are you doing hiding in the closet eating crackers? Get out of that closet, man of God. Mighty warrior, don't you know that you are chosen generation? Don't you know that you're a royal priesthood? Don't you know that you are a son of God? Get out. Our God is so patient with us. And then it says, I want you to go and I want you to anoint a man named Elisha. And by the way, he'll just be out plowing in the field. So what does Elijah do? He gets out of the cave of depression. And he recognizes his identity in God. And he steps forward with this new opportunity. And he goes to this land. And he finds this man named Elisha that's out in the field. And he finds him. And you know what he does? He takes his cloak off of him and throws it on Elisha. Why? Because he was willing to step through his darkness to save his country and recognize that his God is with him. As I think about this, would you and I be ready 
for what he is about to offer, or does it have to look like something you want? Look what happens, 1 Kings 19. Will we be ready when God comes, or God, you have to make it look like this before I'll go? 1 Kings 19, 19. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak over him. I really believe with all of my heart that there was something about Elisha, the way he lived, that he had learned that, hey, any moment God could come, any moment God could use me, and he was ready at a moment's notice. Moses tried to, to say that in the Old Testament when he wrote the book of Psalm 90, the 90th Psalm in verse 12. Moses said this, teach us to number our days, God, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. What is he saying by that? What's he saying to us? Why is this important for this message? Because time is valuable, Grace Community. And the way you use it is invaluable. You will never get back time. We must look at our schedules and make sure we start with Jesus and not give him what is left over. Let let me explain if I can. I hear from people all the time. I'm tired. I'm too busy. I can never do that. My schedule is too full. I can't. I'd like to. Oh, I would love to serve at Grace Community. Oh, I would love to be part of that blitz. Oh, I would love to be part of Fight Club. Oh, I'd love to be part of training camp. Oh, I'd love to be part of this. Oh, I'd love to be out there. Oh, I'd love to volunteer. Oh, I'd love to help that. Oh, I'd love to. I'm so busy. Let me ask you a question. What are you busy with? What are you tired from? Let me also pull it out and say this. Anything that you place above God on your schedule, he will never bless. Never. Let me ask a little practical. When you make your schedule, what do you begin with? Do you begin with God? There it is. I'm going to do this for God. I'm going to serve here. I'm going to read with him. I'm going to pray with him. I'm going to spend time. Do you fill in God first or do you fill in your schedule? Got to take my kids to practice. Got to go here. Got to go run. Got to go work out. Got to go meet here. Got to hang out with friends. Got to do this. Got to watch this movie. Got to watch that movie. Got to go do this. Got to build this. Got to work on that second job so I can have a a retirement. God, let me ask you, when your schedule is made, do you add God to the schedule or do you begin with Jesus? Let me tell you something. Listen to me. Anything that you place above God will never be blessed. You're just spinning your tracks. You see, we give time to what we value the most. Yet the Bible says we must number our days. We must keep a spreadsheet of our time to make sure that God is number one so that we can get and gain a heart of wisdom. I say all this because if Jesus came knocking at your door, would you say, oh, I'm too busy. I don't have time. Can't do that. I got this going on. I got that going on. You say, here's the truth. Let me be very frank. Some of you have been coming to Grace Community Church for one, two, three, four, five, and you come in. You sit down, you drink your coffee, you stand up and worship God. Some of you may come and, oh, I'm just coming for a season of refreshment. Oh, I need six months, I need 12 months, I need three months, I need one month, I need two years. Some of you are coming and you've been part of Grace Community. Some of you for months and years and you haven't served him once here. Listen, it's time you do. It's time you let go of whatever it is, your safety, your fear, your security, your schedule. It's time you say, God, I will burn that ship of mediocrity 
and I will jump in. Listen, you will never have God keep come knocking at your door if you keep saying no. Some of you have been asked, join us in training camp. Join us in fight club. Join us on this place. Join us at prayer encounter. How many times have I asked you? Join us at prayer encounter. It's the best hour of the week to, to get on your knees and battle and intercede. How many of you, let me ask you a really honest question and you answer. What are you doing between 645 and 745 that's more valuable than praying for your brothers and sisters? What are you doing? Well, I'm busy. That's been a hard week. Well, maybe you need to give God your schedule instead of giving him what you want. Ask yourself, see, that's hard stuff. Like, you, you, don't like, you don't like me very much right now. I don't care. <laughs> but I love you too much not to tell you the truth. God will never bless anything that you place above him. Yeah, but my son's got a game on Sunday, and I got a coach on Sunday. And it's been like three out of four weeks. Oh, well, on the way there, we say, Jesus, Jesus, I love Jesus. Listen, are you pouring into your sons and daughters when they leave the home? Have you made them a good athlete, or have you made them a good Christ follower? Listen, there'll be a day they'll leave your house. And they'll be on their own, and they'll be off in college, and... And Sunday morning will roll around, or Wednesday night will roll around, or, or a dorm Bible study will roll around. They'll ask this question. Someone say, hey, you want to join us for a Bible study? Hey, you want to go to that local church down the street? And you know what they're going to do? They're going to do the exact same thing that you have been training them to do for the last 18 years. See, we're responsible parents. No, I'd rather go play ball. I'd rather go play soccer. I'd rather go play volleyball. I'd rather go to band camp. You see, listen to me. It's all in or it's nothing. God will never bless anything you place above him. Going all men in means living each day as though it's your last. By the way, Elisha was from a well-to-do family. I really don't see any desperation from him here. The Bible says in this account that he was from the from. Abel Mahala in Hebrew means the meadow of dancing. It's like that's where everyone wanted to move. Like that's where the rich people lived. That's where the grass was greener on the other side of the fence. That's why they had 12 yoke of oxen. Normal farmers had one yoke of oxen. But but Elisha's family, they were well off. They had 12 yoke of oxen. That meant he was very wealthy. That meant that he would inherit this from his father. That meant when God came knocking, he was set up for life. That meant to consider, he would have to consider leaving all that was behind him. That meant that he might have to sign his name out of a will if he said, yes, Lord. Last Friday when we were in Dehuk, Iraq, northern Kurdistan, we were doing a man conference and one of the gentlemen there was in his 70s. And he had fled from Mosul to Dehuk because ISIS had pushed him out. Now, this was a very smart man. He was an educated man. He owned a business. He was retired where he was at. Yet he fled because he refused to deny Jesus Christ. And what he left behind, some of us probably would never do. He left behind a bank account of four hundred thousand dollars 
He left it behind. And most likely, he won't ever get that back. So here's a man in his 70s. He's sitting in the hook, and we're doing a man conference. And he basically said, it's all in or nothing. Here's a man that won't work again. Here's a man who had worked his whole life hard. Here was a man that had done what we would say is smart, had a retirement plan. Here is a man, when, when, when ISIS came knocking, he refused to deny Christ, and he is starting all over again. But i got to believe when God looks at this man and says... That's what I'm scanning the earth for. You know, he might not have anything on earth anymore, but when he stands before Jesus Christ, our God and Savior is going to say, well done, sir, well done. What are you holding on? All that bank account, that house, that, 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 those six trucks, those three motorcycles. Like, I love those things. Oh, oh, those antiques from my mom and my dad. All oh, that furniture. All oh, that business is going to be passed down. Oh, that inheritance. It's like, I can't leave that. Listen, it's either burn the ship or nothing. That's what Elisha was willing to do. Elisha had a decision to make. Be all in for God or place Elisha farms above God. You see, in order to begin a new chapter, you must put an end to the old chapter. In order to move forward, we must be ready to let go of the past. So watch what happens. Look at verse 20. Elijah came to him, put his cloak on him. Verse 20, it says this. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said. And then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So he drops everything. This new quest had many unknowns because he had never played this part before. He was leaving the CEO role of Elisha Farms and, and becoming a servant of God. Yet he drops everything. He says, I want to say goodbye to mom and dad. Can I just say goodbye to mom and dad? Can I, let's pause here a second. How many of you as parents have been trying to keep your kids from leaving your hometown? Like, because you love the grandkids. Oh, I love my grandkids. How many of you, when your son or daughter has felt compelled to leave, to go to another city, to another country, to be called by God to go to a dark place, and you're like, oh, no, you better, you better fast and pray for 744 days to make sure. How many of you are, are trying to pull your grandkids in because you love your grandkids? How many of you, like, you like that safety and security of having the family, the aunts and uncles and cousins? How many of you as parents, when your children are coming, like, you are thwarting the forward movement of God because you want them around. Listen, burn the ships of your family. Isn't what Christ says when he walked on earth? Any man who wants to follow me must take up the cross. He must hate his mother and father and follow me. See, that's not easy stuff to hear. Like, it's like, I don't like that part of scripture. Jim, can you cut that part out? But listen to me. If you have trouble with that, let me help you. If your child knows Jesus Christ and your grandchildren know Jesus Christ, you'll get to spend eternity with them. Give them a chance to soar. Give them a chance to run after Jesus because when they do that, they get to help other people come to Christ. And by you holding them near and dear and close, you are thwarting someone from knowing Christ and potentially you're saying, let that person go to hell. See, that's hard news, isn't it? It's like, whoa, I didn't think about it that way. I just love having Johnny. Oh, I love Bobby. 
I love my son and so good to be with him. And I could never move away from family. Listen, maybe that's why God's not calling you. Maybe that's why he's coming and he's coming and he keeps coming and he's coming. And finally he says, man, your heart isn't wholeheartedly committed to me. Why would I ever send you on adventure and a quest? Elisha jumps at the opportunity. This was a symbol of passing of power from Elijah. He was a, Elisha was abandoning his former occupation. And I love Elijah's response. He says, what have I done to you? And we look at that and think we're puzzled by that. But in the Hebrew, it's a phrase and it's an idiom that means, what have I done to stop you? Or do as you please. Run. Like, go tell mom and dad and come back. And in the modern paraphrase, he's looking at him and says, just run, force. Just run. You see, retreat is not an option for Elisha. He was willing to divest himself of his share in the family. It might have even meant for him to write himself out of will. See, I don't want to be the dad and my wife doesn't want to be the mom. We don't want to be the parents when our kids say, God has called us to Timbuktu, that we say, ah, oh, but we'll miss the grandkids. God has called us to go to this other state and it's, it's five states away and... and no, we don't want you to go there. No, we'll miss you. Like, I don't want to be the parent that stops my kids from following hard after God. Are you that kind of parent? You see, that's holding on to your past. That's you not being willing to burn the ships. Retreat is not an option. Plan A or bust. He was 100% in. He was burning his plows. He was burning the ship. And by the way, when do we start believing that faithfulness is holding the fort? That faithfulness is continuing the family generation of making pottery. The family generation of farming. My dad and his dad and his dad and his dad's always done it, so I should do it. When are we seeing scripture that we make decisions based upon, well, we've always done it this way? I don't see it, Grace Community. Where do we see in Scripture that God wants to send us only to safe places? I see just the opposite. Jesus didn't die. Listen to me, Grace. He didn't die to keep us safe. He died to make us dangerous. Faithfulness is not holding the fort. It's storming the gates of hell. I love reading about martyrs from our past. I love reading about missionaries and pastors and people in vocations that go all in for Jesus. Listen to this account of a person that was all in. A century ago, a band of brave souls became known as the one-way missionaries. They purchased single tickets to the mission field without a return flight. It's a picture. They got a call from God. I'm going to Africa. So they picture themselves going and staying. They only bought one-way tickets. The story goes on to say they purchased single tickets to the mission field without the return half. And instead of suitcases, they packed their few earthly belongings into coffins. As they sailed out of the port, they waved goodbye to everyone they loved. Everything they knew. They knew they'd never return home. Picture them. I mean, they're saying goodbye and everything that it's in a coffin. It's like, I'm going to die here, basically. I'm not coming home. 
Picture you as a parent saying goodbye to, to a child. Picture you as a brother saying goodbye to a brother or a sister. Picture you saying goodbye to someone that, that you work with. Picture, just picture like they're leaving and all you, that's the last memory you have is them waving. There's a coffin. It's the one they're going to be buried in. It's all or nothing. It's, 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 it's plan A or bus. The story mentioned here is about a man by the name of A.W. Milne who was one of these missionaries. He set sail for the New Hebrides in the South Pacific, knowing full well that the headhunters who lived there had martyred every single missionary before him. Not just some. Every single missionary had, had, had his head lopped off. Milne did not fear for his life because he had already died to himself. His coffin was packed. For 35 years, he lived among the tribe and loved them. When he died, tribe members buried him in the middle of the village in his coffin and inscribed this epitaph on his tombstone. When he came, there was no light. When he left, there was no darkness. Oh, Lord, help us to be those kind of Christ followers. Oh, please, God. Help us to be the church that cares more about lost people than we do our own lives. Elisha was this kind of man. He had the courage to burn the ships. You see, often we find ourselves spinning our wheels, saying something like this, God, I'll go. But in the back of our minds, we're saying, but if this doesn't work out, I always have this to come back to. Let's save enough. Let's put enough in the bank. Let's make sure we have people waiting for us when we get back. Let's make sure plan B is solid before plan. I don't see that with Elijah. He burned plan B. He gave it all up. He gave it away. You see, the will of God is not an insurance plan. It's a daring plan. Imagine that goodbye, too. There, was, there wasn't time for them to talk it out. And many of us are longing for change. We want God to do something new, but we, we want to keep doing the old, same old thing. Keep a foot in the past. God, go ahead and use me. But I don't want to hold on to this. I like this relationship. I like this job. I like this money. I like my schedule. I like the place I get to work out. I like the place my kids are in school. I, I, I like that I get to go to church with my parents. I like that I get to serve this way. I like, I like, I like, I like. But I'll go, God. We want God to do a new thing, but we're not willing to give up an old habit. Are you willing to start all over again? Are you willing to start at the beginning again? You see, if we have courage to burn the ships, God will part the water. It's time to quit living as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. Here's what I know. For some of you, God has been calling you. You've had friends come to you and say, hey, you have this gift. How come you don't use it? Oh, I know it's been tough. Though. I'm going through this difficult time in my life. I need to take time off. Where in the world do you see that in Scripture? Listen, Psalm 90, Moses encourages us to number our, teach us to number our days. Many of us want everything God has to offer, but aren't willing to give anything to God. 
Now think about that for a second. Some of us, like, we, we like this part of our life, whatever it is for you. We like this safety and security. It's our boat. It's like our possessions. Like, man, I love this place. I love this job. I love that, that I get overtime. I love that I have an IRA. I love that I'm with family. I love my dresses. I love my 50 pair of boots. I love... I love, I love, I love, I love, I love, I love, I love. But do you love God more than this? See, God will never bless anything that we place above him. Look what Elisha does. Look at verse 21. Verse 21 says, so Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat. And he gave it to the what? People. And they did what with it? They ate it. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Picture this if you can. He goes to the field after saying goodbye. He he goes out. And he slaughters the oxen that was his means of income. He, he butchers them. He says, why do we need to cook this meat? So he takes his plowing equipment and destroys it. He takes the wood from the plowing equipment and he makes a bonfire. I like Elijah, by the way. He makes a fire. Then he takes meat and puts it on some, some, some sticks. And they're all sitting around and he's eating his security bank. He's eating his ship of blanket security. And he says, here, you have... And he gave it all away. Picture that moment. Like, meanwhile, he's sitting there. He destroys his plow. He's burning it. He's eating the meat. And there's 11 other guys. And and so, can you imagine the conversation? Like, they're sitting around. So, how long have you been thinking about doing this? Oh, about 10 minutes. Like... Shouldn't you pray about it? Like, should, oh, you should fast and pray. Like, this is kind of a rush situation, isn't it? Have you thought about what could happen? Like, you don't have any plan B. Do you realize that if that doesn't work out, you have nothing left? Like, dude, you're not being very wise, are you? Elisha looks at him and says, hey, God came knocking. He came knocking, I'm running. Let me ask you a question. If God comes knocking, are you running? No, no, wait a minute. Let me make sure. Let let, let me work 10 more weeks to get that bank account padded. Let me make sure there's something left here in case that doesn't work out. You see, way too many Christians are more concerned about this world than the world to come. Picture, if you can, this scenario. There is no plan B. It's plan A or bust. We must burn the ships of our past. Some of you need to burn your past ship of failure. Some of you are letting your past successes keeping you. Some of you are letting past regrets keeping you from moving forward. Burn the ship of bad habits. Some of you are just stinking lazy. You don't want to do the work. 
Some of you need to burn the guilt of your past. Some of you need to burn the old way of life. Some of you need to burn the ship of bitterness. Some of you need to burn the ship of unforgiveness. Some of you need to burn the ship of one of these days. Some of you need to burn the ship of complaints. I have had it up to here with people and say, oh, it's hard, it's difficult. And they come and they want to whine to you. Like, dude, I'm not going to sit here and have a wine party with you. I'm just going to tell you that you are chosen generation, that you are royal priesthood, that you are a child of God. Now start living that way. That's what I'm going to say. What I've noticed through the years after 20 years, people don't come to me and complain much. Why? Because I love you too much to tell you the truth. Sure, it's hard. Sure, there's times you feel like giving up. Sure. I mean, there's times I do. But listen, I have control of my attitude. And I must talk to myself instead of listen to myself. Jim Brown, you're a child of God. Jim Brown, you're a daring follower of Jesus Christ. Jim Brown, Jesus loves you. Jim Brown, God chose you before the foundation. Jim Brown, God has a daring plan for your life. Jim Brown, you need to live to your redeemed potential. And when I talk to myself, I begin to be the man that God created me to be. Elisha was not just buying in, he was selling out. You see, a statement of faith must make a statement. It's a defining decision accompanied by dramatic action that symbolizes your absolute commitment to Jesus and his call. Some wives in here, you need to let your husband soar. Oh, he's never, never done that before. And like, I like my time. And some husbands in here, you need to let your wives soar. Men in here, men have come to you and asked you over and over, hey, you want to join me in this? Hey, you want to do this? Some of you need to step up and do it this year. The first step is always the hardest and the longest. By the way, Elisha becomes his servant. He didn't, like, become the CEO. He had to step down and God lifted him up. You see, for some of us, this spiritual tipping point takes place when the pain of staying the same becomes greater than the pain of change. I would say it this way. It comes to where you're sick and tired of being sick and tired. Some of you are still whining, complaining about the same thing for 20 years. It's time. It's way past time. Listen to me. If God met you in the parking lot this afternoon, would you drop your keys and run? Elisha jumps in and scripture tells us that he follows Elijah and Elijah becomes the prophet and Elijah is about ready to die and Elisha wants to be with him. And so three times Elijah says, hey, go somewhere else. And Elisha says, no, I want to be with you when you die. No, go here. No, I want to be with you. And he gets to the end of Elijah's life. Elisha is right there. And before Elijah dies, he goes to God and he goes to Elijah and he says, Lord, give me a double portion of Elisha's anointing. Like, we use that word way too flippantly. Like, we use anointing like we flip pancakes. And somehow, oh, I, I, anointing. And we, and like, and even for me, something, I can't really wrap my mind around I don't fully understand what that is. But when I see it, I know what it is. Here, here, here's how I would define anointing. Here's how I, I would say. It's hard to describe, yet, yet, yet what I know about it is that it's a difference from what I can do and what God can do through me. That's what anointing is. It's this supernatural anointing from God that he allows you to do something that you could never do on your own. And so Elisha prayed for that. Let me tell you something. Here's what happened. Bible records that Elijah 
did 14 miracles in the Old Testament. 14. They're recorded. And the Bible also says, and I did some work this week and searched it down, that Elisha asked for a double portion of his anointing. Guess what? Elisha has 28 recorded miracles that he did. From raising a boy to life, to parting the Jordan River, to making an axe head float just because he could to show the power of God. This week I sat in my office and Lord, I don't even know what this means, but I know that I don't want to do it in my power. I know that there's anointing on people. It means that it's you working through. And I pray, Lord, for a double anointing of Elisha's power so that you get greater glory, not me, so that this community runs to Jesus Christ in droves. I wonder what awaits you outside these doors. I wonder how many of us need to burn some ships. See, it's God or nothing. I wonder what could happen in 2016 if we said, this is the year I joined the quest I'm in. I want you to do something for me. On the floor in front of you or behind you is a piece of clear paper. I want you to grab that in a pen and reach behind you or under you. And I want you to do something in closing. I want you to take this paper, look at me, fold it from top to bottom. Just fold it in half. And for those of you who have OCD, if it's not perfect, it's okay. I'm one of you. So top to bottom, it's open on the bottom. So just do that quickly. Now I want you to take your paper and fold it in half on the top with a point at the top, like this. So that you form what looks like a pyramid. Flaps are towards you or out. But you fold it like this. And at the bottom, it's open. So you have in front of you, point at the top with flaps. Okay, look at me. Some of you are way behind. Holy cow, this isn't rocket science. <laughs> Just fold it. Come on. Let's get going. Now take this bottom flap and fold it up. Just one side and fold it up and crease it. So it looks like this. Now turn it to the other side and fold the other flap up. And if you're totally confused, it's okay. We'll pretend yours looks like ours. Now take the center and open it up. You have a boat. All right, now look at me. This is the most important part. Please, don't get distracted by how pretty and how straight it is. It doesn't matter. But listen to me, please listen to me. This is your boat. This is your ship. This is the thing that you're holding on to. This is your past. These are the things that maybe you're finding more valuable than God. This is what will keep you from jumping into that quest. This is what potentially could destroy you. This is the thing that's keeping you from being all that God wants you to be. So I'm going to ask you to do something now. I want you to quietly just ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, what am I holding on to? What am I afraid of? What's that fear that keeps me from going all in? What's that thing that, that I'm pursuing what is that thing that I'm placing above God and asking Him to bless? And I want you to do something if you're committed to this. I want you to say, Lord, I surrender that. 
I'm letting go. I'm willing. I'm willing to let go, God. Use me. I'm willing to jump into this quest. I am all in. Now, I want you to do something. Now, listen, this isn't a vow that we're just a, a flippant vow. When you make a vow before God, you're saying, I'm in, God. Because listen to me. This is a dangerous decision. Like, if you say yes to this, listen, it could happen in the parking lot. It could mean that everything's turned upside down in your marriage. It could mean that everything's turned upside down in your life. It could mean that you are doing something very different than what you're doing right now, six months, six weeks, six days from now. It could mean that, that everything that you've worked hard for is no longer something that you find security. But what it does mean is you're all in for Jesus and he's going to walk you through it. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to ride on this boat. I'm in. Just take the pen and write, I'm in on your boat. Now listen, don't write that unless you're in. And here in a second, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray over these commitments and... I want you to come after we're praying and the, the bands come out and over in the link you have some tubs to put these in and I want you to come if you're committed and you're saying, I'm in, God, send me the text, send me the person, I'm all in. And if that's you and you're in, I want you to come as we sing this song and I want you to drop your boat in the ship. Lord, we love you. This is a moment that we could look back on and say, that was the day that everything changed in my marriage. That was the day when everything changed in my life. That was the day when everything changed in my school. That was the day when everything changed in my community. That was the day when everything changed in my business. That was the day when I was all in. Spirit, I pray that you'll lead us. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand as we sing. You're committed. Come drop your boat.